Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Plum Crit 101. As always, I'm Dr. J, your friendly neighborhood intensivist. And just like I promised, I have a wild case for you today. Now, imagine you're covering the weekend shift and you get a call from the ER for an admission. A young woman in her 20s has been brought to the hospital by her family because she developed a fever up to 102 and she's just not acting right. She's got some slurred speech. She appears confused. For example, when you ask her what year it is, she says it's 2010 and she doesn't recognize any of her family that's in the room with her. Now, she does have a history of bipolar disorder and that's treated with an injectable antipsychotic, but her last dose was almost a month ago. Her family tells you she doesn't use any illicit drugs and her urine drug screen is negative. Initial labs are pretty much unremarkable. Her white blood cell counts a little high, like 12. And the ED's already drawn blood cultures. Her urine analysis is negative and a CT head was done and is pretty much normal. As you assess her, you notice she's now starting to have some hallucinations and gets scared anytime someone enters the room. Let's pause here for a second. Like any good practitioner, I'm sure you've all come up with a list of differentials at this point. Of course, whenever we have someone come in with a new fever and a psych history, we always think about the common fever syndromes, neuroleptic malignant syndrome, serotonin syndrome, even malignant hyperthermia. But let me give you some more info. Her CK, creatinine kinase, is within normal limits, and she really doesn't have any muscle rigidity. Sure, she's on an antipsychotic, but her last dose, if the history is accurate, was over a month ago, and supposedly she's not on any other meds or taking anything else that could interact. She's not gotten any succinylcholine or had any recent surgeries where she could have gotten halogenated anesthetics. So while those are all excellent differentials, I would put them a little lower on the list. Of course, this could be some, you know, illicit drug that's not showing up on the drug screen or a manifestation of her psych disorder. But before we anchor onto those, let's not forget about infection as a differential, especially meningitis and encephalitis. When we think about meningitis, we think about someone who presents with fever, maybe drowsy, who just really appears toxic. And then, of course, the classic neck stiffness, which is not present in all cases. In a younger patient like her, we need to think also about which bugs may be causing this possible meningitis. So we think about strep pneumo, we think about haemophilus, and Neisseria as common causes. Now if she was a little older, maybe above the age of 55, or if she was pregnant, then we'd also need to consider Listeria as an etiology for possible meningitis. Pseudomonas can also cause meningitis, but usually this is in someone who's had some sort of penetrating trauma or has undergone a neurosurgical procedure, which isn't the case for her. Sure, we could have viral meningitis or aseptic meningitis, but one key thing I want to focus on here is to remember that there are also symptomatic differences between meningitis and encephalitis. So both scenarios can present with a fever, but a thing that you have to consider with meningitis versus encephalitis as far as symptoms go is that your meningitis patient's going to be drowsy but your encephalitis patient is going to be more confused, disoriented, and could even be obtunded. Patients with encephalitis can also present with seizure. And remember that typical buzzword association will be HSV and temporal lobe involvement on imaging. So when we think about the possibility of CNS infection in a patient like ours, we also have to remember that delay in treatment has a very big impact on mortality while we await diagnostic results. So for our patient, we empirically covered her for meningitis with ceftriaxone and vancomycin, as well as a cyclovir for the possibility of HSV encephalitis. 
Another medication we gave her was dexamethasone, and there's an important point here. There have been a lot of studies that have been done which show that giving dexamethasone prior to or at the same time as antibiotics in strep pneumomeningitis in particular actually decrease the rate of ototoxicity and neurotoxicity. Now, when it comes to diagnostic workup in these patients, the lumbar puncture is going to be the gold standard. But there are certain situations in which you're going to delay that lumbar puncture and get a CT head first. Namely, if you suspect some sort of herniation or a brain mass or abscess, which wasn't the case in our patient. She just got a CT head as part of the initial workup in the ED. So let's go back to our patient. Her fever's resolved, but she's still confused. She's got slurred speech and her mood is very labile. You get the LP done and the initial labs that come back from the CSF are pretty much all within normal limits. Your blood cultures 48 hours out are negative and your urine culture is negative as well. So if it's not a fever syndrome like serotonin syndrome or neuroleptic malignant syndrome, and it's not bacterial meningitis or a viral encephalitis, what else could be going on? Well, for the astute listener, you may have already come to this conclusion, but what I'm referring to and what we're going to focus the rest of the discussion on is autoimmune encephalitis, specifically anti-NMDA encephalitis, which is the most common of the autoimmune encephalitis. So the NMDA or N-methyl-D aspartate receptor is an ionotropic glutamate receptor that is really crucial when it comes to neuroplasticity, synaptic transmission, memory, learning, and human behavior. Glutamate receptors as a refresher are the main excitatory receptors in the CNS. And when the NMDA receptor is overexcited, it can actually be associated with epilepsy, dementia, stroke, Huntington's, and even Parkinson's. But when there's decreased receptor activity, patients can actually develop symptoms that's similar to what's seen in schizophrenia and autism. So how do we even get an anti-NMD encephalitis? Well, autoantibodies autoantibodies will bind to the glutamate N1 subunit of the NMDA receptor, which will then result in an alteration of that structure and function of that receptor. And then it manifests as a very characteristic set of symptoms. What triggers are associated with that binding? So typically we think about tumors and viral infections, and commonly you'll hear an association with ovarian teratomas or HSV in these patients. The very classic NMD encephalitis patient is going to be a young woman who presents with psychotic features, and there are specific diagnostic criteria that we use when thinking about NMD encephalitis. When we talk about a probable diagnosis, we need to have three criteria that are met. So the patient should have rapid onset of symptoms, ideally less than three months, and those symptoms include anything from abnormal psychiatric behavior, cognitive dysfunction, speech dysfunction, seizure, a movement disorder, dyskinesia, rigidity or abnormal posture, a decreased level of consciousness, autonomic dysfunction, or central hypoventilation. They also need to have at least one of the following abnormal labs, either an abnormal EEG, and when we talk about an abnormal EEG in this situation, we're thinking about focal or diffuse slow or disorganized activity, epileptic activity, or an extreme delta brush or they need to have a CSF with pleocytosis or oligoclonal bands. And then of course, this is a diagnosis of exclusion. Now, for a definitive diagnosis, you'll need to have a positive antibody testing for IgG anti-glutamate N1 antibodies, along with the classic symptoms I mentioned before. And again, this is a diagnosis of exclusion. 
As a reminder, MRI imaging in these patients is very nonspecific. You can sometimes see white matter changes, and that will especially be seen in the hippocampus, but it's really not diagnostic. So now you've got someone who you think might have NMDA encephalitis, what are you going to do about it? Well, if they have an associated tumor like that teratoma, you're going to resect that. But if not, then you're going to focus your treatment on immunosuppression. And when we talk about first-line treatment, we think about IV methylprednisolone, usually one gram daily for five days, in combination with either IVIG or plasma exchange. And if there's no improvement there, then you can move to second-line treatment, which is going to include rituximab or cyclophosphamide or a combination of the both. Some practitioners use an alternative approach, which is to use rituximab in combination with steroids up front, along with either IVIG or plasma exchange. And this is usually for those patients that are severely affected. Prognosis is usually good for these patients, but there are some risk factors for poor outcomes that were studied at one year. And that includes either lack of improvement in the first four weeks of treatment, ICU admission from the get-go, extremes of age, so either very young patients or very old patients, that extreme delta brush pattern on EEG, lack of treatment with immunotherapy in the first 30 days of being diagnosed with the disease. And relapse can actually occur in up to 20% of patients. And if a relapse occurs, we treat them just like patients who are newly diagnosed, but there's a low threshold to start that second line treatment early on. Now, our patient didn't end up having NMD encephalitis. You guessed it, she was having an acute psychotic episode. But this is a great example of making sure you don't anchor on a certain diagnosis, keeping a broad differential in mind, and remembering that although zebras are rare, they still exist. Which reminds me, make sure to tune in next time for a fascinating case which proves that zebras do show up anywhere. As always, make sure to follow me on Instagram at pomcrit101. And if you have any questions or comments, you can email me at pomcrit101 at gmail.com. I'm Dr. J. Thanks for listening in, and I'll catch you next time.